0: You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a sermon from our series entitled House Rules, a study on the book of 1 Timothy. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. I want you to, to know, that's the whole point of John's gospel. He wants people to know who Jesus is. He wants them to have eternal life by believing. He says, I want you guys to have no doubts. And so I'm glad that I actually wasn't even there. Right? I'm glad. So we're going to go. In verse 16, Thomas says... And Thomas gets a bad rap, right? Because after the resurrection, he's like, I don't want to believe in Jesus. But here Thomas is kind of a leader. He says, let us go. We may die with him. He's like, let's go. Let's risk it. Let's go. They're still not thinking about, you know, Lazarus as much. They're still thinking about them. We're, we're, we're ready to go. And so they go in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had been dead... He's in a tomb four days. The Jews buried their dead the same day. So he's been dead at least four days. Again, it took him two days to get there. He waited two days. All right, so you're, you're talking it's a long time. And all the mourners had come. And in Jewish culture, they would send mourners and families would come from Jerusalem. This is a fairly, it seems to be, well-do to family. So there's lots of people coming to Bethany. Bethany is, is two miles away from Jerusalem. It's kind of like Grayson Stadium. It's just right outside the city. Right? And so, all these people are consoling Mary and Martha, and there's, there's weeping and there's sadness. And when they, Martha hears that Jesus is coming, she goes to meet him. Remember, Martha's the doer, Mary's kind of the, the sitter. Martha's like, oh, she's the first one up, and she's up at 4 a.m., and she's cooking, and she's cleaning, and she's doing all these things. So, as soon as she hears Jesus, she bolts out, and Mary stays seated in the house, and she comes to Jesus, and hear the emotion. Lord, if you had been here, my brother, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have died. Jesus, wh- where were you? We, we called for you, right? I mean, in that day, again, no, there's no hospitals, you don't send people. So here they are, the two sisters, and their, their brother is in agony, and he's probably throwing up and writhing in pain and high fever, and they got the cold wash cough in his head. Meanwhile, every time Martha and Mary are looking out the window, every time someone comes over the hill, they're thinking maybe Jesus is coming, and every time they're disappointed and there's this longing and waiting, and to, and to make matters worse, then the messengers come back and say... Jesus said the sickness is not unto death, and he's already died. And there's this confusion and pain and even anger. Why would he say that? Why didn't he come? Doesn't he care? And now she's sitting at his feet. Jesus, all this is wrapped up in that when she says, Lord, if you were here, why weren't you here? Why? Why? But look at this faith, verse 22, even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And and this is not her saying, I know you're going to raise him from the dead. That's not what this is. Because a few verses later, she's going to tell Jesus, no, 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 don't go to the tomb. Don't take the rock away. So she's not thinking that. The, The idea here is, even now, in the midst of my pain, I still believe that the Father hears you, Jesus. I still believe that you're from the Father. It's amazing faith in the midst of hurt. And so she goes and gets her sister, next verse, and, and Mary's sitting there, and, he, and Martha says, hey, Jesus wants to see you, and she runs out. Everyone thinks she's going to the grave, but she's really going to see Jesus, and she comes up — oh, I'm sorry, I skipped, I skipped the most important part what she says to, to Martha. She says, I, your brother will rise again, Martha. She says, I know he will rise on that last day. She's thinking eternity. Right? She's thinking down the road. She's not thinking right now. And, and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe? She says, I believe. Yes, I believe. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the word of is this Messiah. You're the son of God who is coming into the world. She's got some, some strong faith. And then she goes and gets Mary, and Mary comes to Jesus and she says the same thing: "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." Notice it says she fell at his feet. Here's an interesting tidbit about Mary: every time you see Mary in the New Testament, she's at the feet of Jesus. Right here, she falls at the feet of Jesus. In the very next chapter, she's going to take her inheritance. This is perfume, this nard that costs a year's salary of the average laborer, so say $50,000 a day. If you go out, I, I Googled it just because. So the most expensive perfume right now, Clive Christian number one. If you're wearing it, you wasted a ton of money. <laughs> but apparently it's the most expensive. It's $12,000 per square ounce, right? It's a lot. You know, that's, you're driving an odor, I mean, you know, really, okay? but. That's the value of this perfume that she puts on Jesus. It's worth $50,000, $60,000. She breaks it. It's a one-time deal. She anoints Jesus' feet. She stay, sits at his feet and washes her hair, getting him ready for his burial. She's always at the feet. And then later in Luke, when you see earlier, when Mary's kind of in the kitchen serving, where's Mary? She's sitting at the feet. Here's a woman who just loved to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so she comes to Jesus' feet and she, she's deeply moved. Lord, why? You loved him. Why? You loved him. So verse 33, Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come weeping. He was deeply moved and troubled. And the word for greatly troubled means he's, he was actually indignant. He's, he's angry. Not at her. But he's, he's moved emotionally so that, and, and the reason why most, most commentaries think is it's not because, you know, he, he is sad that there's suffering, but he is seeing the, of the result of sin. This is the, the end game of sin and, des- and destruction and death. Y'all, death is not normal. And we think, oh, it's just part of life. That's not how we were created. We weren't created to die. We were created to live, and because of sin we die. And Jesus is coming. The whole reason he comes is to destroy death and the works of the devil. He is coming to destroy this very thing. But he's looking at death and its effect and how on the people he loves. He's looking at what Satan has done. And he's he's moved, but he's also indignant. And so he says, Where have you laid him? And I said, Come and see. And the most famous and shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus weeps. Again moved to just compassion for these people and, and their suffering, but also knowing the way in which he's going to go toe-to-toe with the enemy is that he is going to give his life. And so there's, there's this deep emotion. It's not, it's not the same crying that the ladies were crying, the, the big outward. It's they actually just shed tears. It's a different word. And, ver- and then again, the Jews around, see how he loved them. And then there's some skeptics, yeah, but if he loved them so much, couldn't he open the eyes of uh, He opened the eyes of the blind. Couldn't he keep this man from dying? And there's all this talk, oh, he loved them, oh, well, why didn't he save him? Same thing they're asking. And so Jesus deeply moved, same word again, he's, in, he's, he's moved emotionally, he comes to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone in front of it, sounds like another one we're going to talk about next week. And Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha, again, first to speak, first to act. She says, uh, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odor. He's been decomposing. Very funny, if you're a King James guy, which uh, I don't know if you are, it says, he will stinketh. (laughs) (laughs) Because when I study, I have like five versions open, so it has nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought it was funny. I cackled out loud. I was at the coffee shop when I saw, he will stinketh. I'm like, that's just funny. Okay. (laughs) Yes, he will stinketh. But the idea is he's been dead, he's decomposed, right? You you can't do that. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you you're going to see the glory of God if you believe? Didn't I tell you? And so they took away the stone. Jesus lifts his eyes and he prays. One of his public prayers, you know, a lot of times Jesus prays in private, private. a lot of times he prays in public. This prayer is to God the Father, but he wants people to hear it. He says, Father, I thank you, you've heard me. And I knew, and and again, I'm I'm not usually the Greek nerd guy, but this kind of took, got my attention. This is a a Greek verb. It's a normal verb, but it's in a tense that's only used 21 times in the entire New Testament. Very rare, called the pluperfect. Right, And it's this, it's this idea that I've always known. This is something that's solidified. He's like, I always have known that you hear me. I know you hear me. When I pray, you hear me. When I do things, you hear me. It's this, this huge piece for us, y'all, as Jesus' church. If Jesus is heard by the Father and we are His church, guess what? We are always heard by the Father. This is a great little side truth that, that you get just from how Jesus talks to His dad. But He says, I'm praying this. I know you hear me, Father. I don't need to say anything, but I want these people standing around to believe that I am from you, that I that you sent me. So I'm praying this, and I'm doing this, so everyone will know that I am who you sent me to be. Right? So he prays, and you know everyone's just fixated on Jesus and just watching him, and they're they've never they've heard stories, and the disciples have seen things, but they've never seen anything like that. And, and there's this open cape, and so. Everyone's staring at Jesus. And then after he says amen, if he even says amen, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, and it's emphatic. I mean, it just, no one's talking. Jesus is talking to the Father, and then there's just silence. And then out of the silence, I don't know how long it was. I would have waited a couple seconds just for dramatic effect. (laughs) Lazarus! Loud, piercing, authoritative, and it has to be. Jesus has to specify Lazarus because if he says, come forth, all the graves will empty. So he has to say, it's Lazarus. Come out. And you know everyone's staring at Jesus and all of a sudden it's like, now they're staring at the tomb. You know, and, in, and then you see a little movement. Did something move? You just, can, you just can put yourself there, and it, yeah, something's moving. And out, all of a sudden comes this mummy-looking dude wrapped up, and he's, he can't see, right? And it's, just, it's kind of a comical scene. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound, because that's how they did it. They wrapped him up. They didn't kind of mummify him like the Egyptians, but they did wrap him up in strips. His face is covered, so he can't see. He's kind of like, y'all get me out of this. And Jesus says, Unbind him and let him go. And can you imagine the screams of joy from the ladies? His sisters? They just running up and hugging him? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine all the people like, I'm about to pass out, brah? Do you believe this? <laughs> can you imagine? I just picture Jesus standing there too with a smile not only because his buddies alive, because of the joy that he has brought. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, he's raised people from the dead a couple times, but nothing as dramatic as this has happened. Right? And even then, here's the irony. Even, this is the hardness of man's heart. Even then, many of the Jews believed. They saw it and they're like, whoa, I'm in. But some of them went, what the they? went and told the principal. You know that person, he's always telling the principal. They run off to the Pharisees and they told them what Jesus has done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we going to do? This man performs signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him. The Romans will come and take both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year said, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this on his own, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied, That Jesus would die for the nation, and so later he says, and not only for the nation, uh, that he's gonna, he's from that day are gonna put him to death. They're gonna try to to eliminate Jesus and, by the way, Lazarus, because they think it's better to get rid of Jesus and 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 keep their power than Rome come in. And it's this idea that from this day on, from Lazarus being raised, they are going to try to kill him. And they're going to scheme. It was catalytic in their decision. And so a few weeks later, we don't know exactly you know, how many weeks ex- from Lazarus to Palm Sunday. All these people that had heard about what happened in Bethany, only two miles away, are there. Jesus is riding in on the donkey. They know Zechariah 9. They know what he has done. They sang Hosanna. The Pharisees are so mad about it. They say, teacher, tell your subjects to the stop. He says, if they stop, the rocks will cry out, baby. It's just, and it's all linked back to this Lazarus. And so they even more so want to kill him and Lazarus, right? What a great, just a great miracle that Jesus has done. And then I love verse 19 of chapter 12. The Pharisees, after Jesus rides in, they're like, it's just like, what are we going to do? You see, the whole world's going after him. This is this frustration. You're gaining nothing. You can't stop this. That's right, you can't. So why try? Let me give you some great reminders. As we kind of move into Holy Week, just three quick reminders. Again, this is not a big go out and do, go out and invite people to church. So that's not what this point is. The point is just to turn our focus. What is the point of Holy Week? What happened on Palm Sunday? Here's just three quick reminders as we move into worship. Number one, this story, this narrative of Jesus reminds us that He is the King. Plain and simple. That was the point. In fact, he even says back in 1115 to the disciples, I'm I'm glad that I wasn't there. Why? So that you may believe. But they already believe. They do already believe. But this is going to solidify even more for those 12 or 11 and then everyone else who Jesus really is. Just in case there was any doubt, they will be all the more sure that this one has the power over death, the power to reverse death. He has proved himself to be the king, and he didn't do it in, in secrecy. He did it in front of everybody. Everybody saw it. Thousands of people knew it, and they were so convinced, right, they were convinced. And the point is this, for you, very simply, that Jesus is he's a worthy king. He is worthy of your trust, he is worthy of your worship, he is worthy of your praise. That's what Palm Sunday is. It's the presentation of the king. Your, your king will be riding on a donkey. Here he is, and they reject him. Verse second thing is this. It clearly just is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do. This is the last miracle John mentions right before the resurrection. And there's, and there's all sorts of similarities, right? You know, you got a tomb, you got a rock, you're in the grave for a couple of days. It's just a picture of, of later what Jesus was going to accomplish. And as we enter the beginning of the week, that's what this is. But the difference between Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha don't really have any hope. I mean, they have hope in the end, but they think it's over, right? We go into this week and we're going we're to remember the cross on Friday night and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It's not going to be a sermon. It's, it's going to be some singing. It's going to be the Lord's Supper. That's what Friday night's going to be. But we don't, we don't do that like, man, what now? We do that, we come knowing that Sunday morning we're going to jam out. We're gonna be loud and we're gonna sing Christ the Lord is risen today. They don't have that. We do. This is why we talk about hope. We talk about praise is rising. We sung it. When we see you, we have strength to face today. That's the idea. That's what the resurrection does. And this is all foreshadowing exactly what Jesus is gonna do, right? Your king went toe to toe with the greatest foe that we have sin and death. That's what he did. He is our champion. He's the people's champion, and the, 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 the snake may have bit his heel, but he crushed his head. That's what we remember. So it's just a foreshadowing of what he's going to do. And here's the third thing, and this is a biggie for me, is that he proved this, this story, this narrative, and I, when I say story, I understand I'm not talking about it's not true. A narrative is a synonym for story. But this, this narrative proves Jesus' love. It proves his love, right? And and this is the most challenging piece of this text, but it's significant. It's so stunning for us to read, Jesus loved them, so he stayed. It doesn't make any sense. There's no logic to that. If Jesus really loved them, we would say he would have gotten on his horse and ridden, right? But that's not the way it is. Jesus loves him, so he stayed. And here's the truth: there is moments in our lives, some of them present, some of them past, some of them future, where God seems silent, and He seems unresponsive, and He seems dif- distant and you are overwhelmed and you are disappointed and you're just like Mary and Martha, you're looking out the window hoping that the next one that comes in will be Jesus and it's just crickets. He's a no-show, seemingly. Maybe you're in the middle of that now. Maybe you look back at some event, some horrible event in your life, you're like, Jesus, why would you allow — if you love me, why would you let that happen? It's the same thing she's saying. Jesus, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. You can fill in the blank. Jesus, if you love me, if you were here, we would be pregnant by now. My husband would be a believer by now. My kids would have done this. My mother-in-law would not have cancer. You could fill in the blank with just life. I wouldn't be depressed. I wouldn't have anxiety, whatever it is. If you love me. And yet Jesus here is saying that he delayed precisely because he loved them. That's what the point is. He loved them, so he delayed. That is so huge. How is that, can that be? Because he knows the end. He, he knows this, whatever struggle you've been through or that you will go through or that you're in right now. He knows how it plays out and what he is doing, and this is the hardest thing, is he is actually shaping you and preparing you for a joy and a glory that beyond what you can fathom. See, if if Mary and Martha, if if Lazarus gets healed, there's joy. Yeah, (laughs) thank you, Jesus. If he comes back from the dead, it's a party. Which is greater joy? But you had to go through the death to get there. And that's what the New Testament teaches God is doing to us. I have told you all before, in all transparency, that the last 18 months, two years of being pastor has been the hardest in my 11 years, bar none. Bar none. So much so that I've contemplated at times, I need to do something else, because I can't hack it. I'm telling you. And the only hope I have, and if God does that or not, that's that's his business, because this is his church and he is... He is going to be glorified. But the only hope I ultimately have is that God is refining and doing something in all of us and in me that I'm going to one day say, whew, horrible, but worth it. And that... Look, you got, we've said this a lot, and you got to believe it. God is for your joy. He is for your maximum joy. And he is going to do whatever is going to bring you the maximum, ultimate joy. Even if to get there, it's going to be like, woo. Even if it's Lazarus having to be in the grade, taking a little nap for four days. I don't like that nap. I do like a nap, not that nap. But I do like the joy Right, And that's, that's, that's what the Scripture constantly teaches, that God is preparing in us a far greater joy, that, that this light momentary affliction is nothing com- in comparison to what's coming. And so when it makes no sense when you're like, where are you, Jesus? If you would only be here, then X. Just know He is there. And He is, not that He is being unloving, He is actually loving you in a profound, deep way and, and you say well how can that be because we know what happens next your king lays down his life for you that's what he does he he it ends with with him giving us maximum joy because we get to live forever and so the question is this you got to ask you like Mary do you believe it like Martha do you believe it do you believe that God is not asleep do you believe that he is the king do you believe that he cares that he loves you Do you believe that he died for you and rose again? That's that's it. He went toe to toe with our enemy and he won. So now, us as a church, do you know what we say? 1 Corinthians 15? Death, it's it's, it's mocking. Where's your victory? Where's your sting? Right? It's a mocking chant to death. Why? Because we have a champion who won. And so that's what we look forward to this week. Our champion won, our king won. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, everyone else. Because <laughs> our king is the king. So let's worship him. All right, stand with me. We're going to sing some songs. There's too many good resurrection songs. We couldn't fit them in all for next week. So we're going to do some today. And if you don't like that, tough. All right. So let's let me pray and let's worship our king. Father in heaven, I ask for your church to be encouraged by your power and your might and your love for us. And as we enter into... This holy week, as we remember Christ being presented as the lamb, and then on Friday being slaughtered as the lamb, and then being on Sunday resurrected as the Son of God, uh, just pray that you would be honored, um, and then for those who need to know Jesus, that they would come to know Him, and for those who need to be encouraged, that they would be encouraged. In Jesus' name, we pray.